Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the host and their guests and not those of W4CS Radio, its employees, or affiliates. W4CS makes no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Support Network on W4CS.com. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And before I introduce our guest today, I want to share... Um, what's kind of gone on this week. It's been a very inspiring week in many, many ways. You know, my husband and I have been married for 40 years, actually over 40 years now. And we, a year and a half ago, we sold our house and moved um, to an apartment, but we rented a storage facility and we recently cleaned it out because we're spending all this money every month and we really didn't have a lot of things in there. So we we cleaned it all out. And one of the things that we did this last week is we went through 40 years of photos. Now, when you think about, you know, everything's digital these days, but back in the day, everything was, you know, if you wanted to see pictures, you took camera, you used your camera, and then you had them developed. And it was very expensive. And you ended up with a lot of bad pictures along with the good ones. But um, we went through 40 years of photos. And in that process, you know, it just kind of brings back tons and tons of memories. And, you know, I was looking at all these Christmas pictures with the kids over the years. And, you know, and it occurred to me that this year would be the first year that we're going to have Christmas without any of our children here. You know, with COVID and everything's a problem, we were supposed to go to, to Los Angeles and see our son and his wife. And um, with all the restrictions, we can't really do that. And so we decided we canceled our trip and nobody's coming home. And it's just it's just heartbreaking to think about when you go through 40 years of these pictures and remembering how young we used to be. We were in our 20s back then. And it's just, you know, it's it's a hard thing to look at, but it also makes you realize how much how much love and how many years of love we have had as a family. And it's really been inspiring. And so as we were contemplating our first year of having a 
Zoom Christmas, maybe we could arrange to have all the kids lined up on the call at once. I was kind of thinking that maybe it wouldn't be that exciting, but something happened that makes me know that it will be very exciting. Um, this year, my, my birthday was last week. It was on Thursday. And we have a, a standing Zoom call and every Thursday at 1.30 our time. And for some reason, it got moved to 6 p.m. Pacific time. And I just assumed because it was my birthday and we wanted to make sure all the kids could get on the call at the same time. Well, I finally got on the call. I, I'm glad I put a little makeup on because when I got on that call, there were I don't know, 20 people on the call. And they were all like people from Breast Friends were all on the call. And some of my extended family members, my my sister-in-law, Nancy, who listens to every episode that we do. Um, thank you, Nancy. And so she's been, she was on the call with her kids. And I just, were, there were so many people. I, I just don't want to leave anybody out, but I did want to recognize Nancy for that. Um, but it was so fun and so surprising to see them all there that I know that if we do a Zoom Christmas um, with all of the kids and, and their and their children, we'll have a wonderful, wonderful time doing that. So, um, And they all have my, my recipe for the morning biscuits that I've made for all these years. And so hopefully they'll all make those too. And in fact, I'm going to ask them to. And I, I think it'll be a wonderful time. So even though this has been a strange year um, and I'm thinking that people are Zoomed out, when it's special like that and it's a birthday and it's a surprise or if it's Christmas and it's the whole family, I think it's going to be okay. So with that said, (laughs) we're going to move on to our guest today. Now, I know she heard me say about the biscuits that I make. No, they are not healthy. I will tell you that, Kathy. (laughs) So (laughs) my guest today um, is Kathy Lehman. She's been on the show many times and I love, love, love having her on. And she's got so much insight. And what what we're going to talk about today is we started on November 11th talking about emotional eating. And, you know, many cancer survivors struggle with weight gain. And Kathy's expert, you know, her expertise is a dietitian, a nutrition therapist, a certified personal trainer. She just has tremendous knowledge. And she's also a breast cancer survivor and the founder of Higher Ground Breast Cancer Survival Membership and the Damn Mad About Breast Cancer blog. And so today we're going to finish our conversation, How to Get Off the Roller Coaster of Emotional Eating. Welcome back again, Kathy. I love having you on my show. Thank you. I love being here. And before we jump in, I just, I loved your story about the surprise Zoom party and the biscuits and the 40 years of photos. It feels so homey and I want to be part of your family. I want, can you adopt uh, you know what? me? Okay, yes. <laughs> adopt me. <laughs> yes, I can adopt you. I'm probably old enough to do that. Just barely. I don't know, but I love it. That was a great story. Yeah, everything oh. has to be different this year. And it's yeah. I was just talking with my dad last night about that. And it's really challenging, but we'll figure it out, right? We'll figure we it out. definitely so, will. So um, yeah, thanks so, for having so, me. But Kathy, I'm just, I'm just excited to have you back. And we had a really good conversation on November 11th, where we first started talking about this. So let's just to bring our audience back into the, the realm of what we were talking about. Um, there's two things I would like you to remind us about. First off, what is emotional eating? What does that mean? Sure. Emotional eating is When someone uses food as a way to cope with difficult situations, circumstances, or feelings, it's really a way to distract yourself or comfort yourself or avoid things that are 
hard, hurtful, horrifying, terrifying, just completely uncomfortable. And health, financial, relationship, work, and professional challenges, those are all areas where people use emotional eating to cope. And in our discussion with the in the breast cancer community, I think all of those uh, play a role. So lots of areas that are right for um, using food as, as a way to just, just you're buffering with food. You're just, you're using it as a coping mechanism is the simplest way to explain it. Okay, so the biscuits that I make, which are completely unhealthy, they're refrigerator dough biscuits and you melt butter in the oven in a pan and then you put all this brown sugar in the pan and then you put the biscuits down and you bake them for like 17 minutes and flip them out onto a plate. Super simple to make, but they don't really fit into any of those categories. It's more tradition. Right. Tradition doesn't count as emotional eating, right? That's a completely different thing. I mean, (laughs) tradition, yeah, that's what actually, and that would be a great topic for another, for you (laughs) asked me to think of something. So you just gave me an idea. That's, you know, food and we think of it as what we shouldn't be eating and what's good and what's bad. And we forget that it's part of our culture and our heritage and our traditions and celebration. And yeah, so that's what that is. Okay, and I good. think it's called monkey bread. Isn't that monkey bread? And, well, it, it probably kind of resembles it, but it, it's not really. Um, but but the, you kind of bake them together and you pull them apart. But the, the when you tip them over and that butter and that brown sugar melts together, oh my gosh. It's So kids, when you eat these with me on Christmas morning <laughs> in your own kitchens, it is not emotional eating. So don't feel guilty about it. It's no, tradition. No, you never feel guilty about food. No. Never, never, no. never, never. Well, see, now that's an interesting thing. So let's let's also remind them of the second thing that we talked about last time. And that's the five signs of emotional eating. How do we know um, that what we're doing is emotional eating? And the first one I wrote down was sudden urge to eat versus hunger. Because yes. I, as I remember it right, that's I have yes. five things written down, and I'm hoping I remembered them correctly. But so, if you can go through the five, that's great. If if uh, if not, I can go through them. I think, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have them right here. So right. yes, stress eating comes at you suddenly. It's often that urge to eat versus a feeling of true physiological hunger, and because true hunger comes on gradually after your. Uh, last meal has been digested and metabolized and your body uses it for fuel and when your blood sugar levels stop to drop and all these other physiological indicators that just happen naturally remind you that it's time to eat so that's the first way to tell okay the second way to tell so is, wait real quick before so before we move on so yeah. if i'm watching a tv show and a commercial comes on for um ice cream and all of a sudden, I have this urge for ice cream, and I go to my freezer, and I'm searching for ice cream. It's probably not hunger, right? It's definitely not hunger, unless okay. you haven't eaten for, I don't know, it's different for everyone, but let's just say generously a window of four to six hours if you've not eaten for that long. If you've just finished dinner, and you're watching TV after dinner, that's not hunger. Okay. Just wanted to clarify. Yeah, you got it. Darn it. I know. I know. Okay. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not hunger. And then that kind of leads us to the second thing that I had written down, which was searching for a particular food. In that case, I'm looking for ice cream because yes. I got it on my brain somehow, right? Yes, because stress eating sends you searching for a particular food to eat. And that's rarely 
and I would go so far as to say never, but I don't like to use the word never, but it's rarely a big pile of fruits and veggies. True hunger sends you searching for anything, even if a piece of fruit will do to satisfy your appetite and alleviate that sensation of hunger. Okay, so if we're searching for something sweet, like cookies or ice cream or a candy bar or something, just pure carbs, you know, like a piece of toast with butter and cinnamon on it, <laughs> all those yummy <laughs> things, probably more related to emotional eating, I would suppose. Unless, like you said, it's been four to six hours since we've eaten last. Yeah, usually that's that's true because that tends to be the type of food that someone goes scrounging for is high carbohydrate, highly processed, sugary, fatty, that tends to fit the bill. And again, back to that example, if you are truly physiologically hungry and you need to fuel your body because of all those reasons I mentioned, Mm -hmm. an apple, an orange, a half of turkey sandwich, anything will take that hunger away so that you can focus and your blood sugar comes up. And you know, that's kind of the challenge with waiting too long to eat. If you go too long in between, you might be be on the search for something to really alleviate the hunger, but then we eat fast, and at least I yeah. do. I find yeah. myself, I just scarf it down, and before I even know I'm full, I'm scarfing more. Yes. And we have to not, that's why you don't want to go too long without eating something, right? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing at that, but that's what I think I recall from our last conversation. Well, you don't want to go too long so that you get over hungry, so you feel out of let's say out of control so that you're like, I just have to eat anything that's not nailed down. That's one thing. But the other thing is staying present and aware of what you're eating. So even if you are really hungry, if you have a fridge full of nourishing, high quality whole foods that are going to satisfy your hunger and your nutrition, then it doesn't matter. You know, you're just pulling out Say you have some baked sweet potatoes in advance, and maybe you have a pot of chili or something. You have a, you could just dish up a bowl of chili and heat mm. up, you know, that sweet potato, and sit down and eat those. And maybe you munch on some grapes or you know cut up veggies or something while you're waiting for the microwave. <laughs> That's staying in the moment and stay and giving yourself nourishing food, but also taking the edge off that hunger. I know there are some nights when I work longer than I plan, and I head to the kitchen for dinner, and I'm like, ah, we just need to heat everything up, but I'm so hungry, and I'll grab a handful of, you know, grapes or whatever. I make it visible. You're so good. A handful of grapes. Who does that? (laughs) Listen to me for for a second. I enjoy that because it's sweet. It's quick energy. It'll bring Mm -hmm. your blood sugar up quickly, and it's... um, refreshing because mm-hmm. it's you know like a, it's cold and it's and, and grapes have a very high water content so I just I happen to like them and I keep them in the fridge but it's not about being good or bad it's about like this can be another topic it's about what do you value and if you value your health and your body and that and you recognize that you deserve to fuel yourself with really nourishing and delicious they're not they're not separate things food it does, then you're not, it's not about being good or bad. It's about, this is the way I feel good. I feel good when I eat this kind of food, which if, if you go back many, many years, that's really all that used to be available yeah. before big agribusiness and processing of foods and fast food and microwaves. That's what we are, are actually born to eat. 
Israel. Well, you know, the, the truth is, Kathy, I, I really love grapes. It's just rare that I have them just like laying around. And that really kind of brings me to the third thing that I remember you talking about. And that was when we eat without thinking, because, you know, maybe we don't have the food on hand or, you know, whatever. And so we just sort of grab whatever's convenient. And, you know, for me, it's it's much easier to just always have crackers and things that can be in the cupboard because they don't go bad quickly like you know fresh produce does and I think that that's kind of an important thing too is just you know making sure that when we shop that we're shopping for those things that that do satisfy us right that are that kind of fill that that need for us and um, so that when we do get that hunger <laughs> the actual hunger we're we're not just you know, doing it without thinking, we're thinking about what's going in our mouth. And we're, I, you know, I mean, I know it's, this happens at two separate times, but we were describing um, emotional eating, and that is eating without thinking is one of is one of those. And um, I'm, I'm rambling here a little bit, sorry. <laughs> no, no, but, no, you're right. There are two, there are two ways to use that without thinking idea there are two. So in emotional eating, it's when, for example, you look down at an ice cream carton, that's been sitting in your lap as you watch TV and it's empty and you yeah. don't remember finishing it. Ah, yeah. Or the bag of chips mm-hmm. or the bowl of popcorn mm-hmm. gone and you're like, wow, I didn't even realize, I didn't even know I was eating it that fast or well, okay. That's one way. That's the emotional eating piece. It, grabbing something without thinking about it is more about planning ahead. And okay. to your point, fresh fruits and vegetables go bad because we don't eat them. Yeah, <laughs> they don't go bad true. when you eat them. <laughs> And we buy them thinking we're being all, you know, healthy and we're going to do it different this time. And then they rot in the refrigerator. Yeah. yeah. So for me, what I find is helpful for me is when I bring those things home, if I prepare them, cut them up, get them in baggies or containers so that they're easy to eat when, when they're home, I'm more likely to eat them than if I have to clean them every time. And I don't know if there's, if there's some science behind that, but I find if it's easy, you know, I'm going to probably make better choices. But, and then there's two other ones. I'm um, yes. careening from one food to the next without feeling satisfied. Right. Uh, That's the satisfaction. It's, it's it. so you're, you're, you're generally, you're going for generally unhealthy foods, one to the next, eating large quantities mm-hmm. of each without reaching that feeling of satisfaction. You just yep. keep going. And then the final one is stress eating weighs on your mind with feelings of guilt, shame, mm-hmm. disgust, or regret. Yep. Yep, and I, I I think we've probably all experienced that to some degree, and um, but but those are those are the signs of emotional eating, and we're gonna um, talk more about that when we come back um, as we kind of talk about what are what's some of the science behind it, what's causing it, what's the psychology that we're experiencing it, and how do we how do we break that habit? So, um, and believe it or not, Kathy, we're at our first break, so stay tuned. We're gonna be back in a minute. Uh, don't go away. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. 
By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at Electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A.com. into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. If if you know someone who is struggling with emotional eating, um, you might want to consider sending them a link to this show. And because that First off, that's how we help more people, and we've we've got listeners in 113 countries and all 50 states, and I'm very excited about that. But we always know every week that there's somebody in our lives that might really benefit from hearing um, a, an up, you know, a specific episode. So consider sharing this link, you know, with them if you know someone. Um, also, if you like this show and you want to see it going again for 2021 please consider making a donation to Breast Friends. You can go to breastfriends.org and make a donation online or mail a check to Breast Friends. Or you can text to, um, on your phone, you can text to BF, or excuse me, text to 41444, the phrase BF Radio, that's Breast Friends Radio, and that will open up a link and you can make a, a direct donation that goes right straight into supporting this program. You can also join our Facebook group, which is Breast Friends Around the Globe, and introduce yourself to the group. Let us know where you're listening from, and then also nominate yourself as a guest. And, you know, if you've got information, something that you think people would benefit from hearing, introduce yourself to me. You can reach me at Becky at BreastFriends.org. Let me know who you are, what your specialty is, and then let's see if we can we can make that work for our, our audience, and we'll get you on the program. So, so do all of those things, and then maybe you'll be my next many many time guest, like Miss Kathy Lehman, who's with us again today. So, Kathy, um, thanks for all that kind of reminder where we were last time that you were on the show, and so let's kind of pick it up from there and move forward now, um, and and tell us who is most likely to struggle with emotional eating? So uh, according to most of the research and a study that was reported by the American Psychological Association, women are more likely than men to report unhealthy eating behaviors as a result of stress. And in this one particular study, 43% of women reported having overeaten or eaten unhealthy foods as a result of stress over the previous month. And when asked why they overate, 30% of those women said they couldn't stop themselves and that they do indeed eat to manage stress. So that's from the, the data. From my personal experience, you know, in my private practice, I have worked with hundreds of people who've struggled with emotional eating. And my practice was primarily um, made up of women clients, but I also had men clients who struggled with emotional stress eating. It tends to present itself a little bit differently in terms of what the drivers are behind the stress, but it's the same animal just appearing for different reasons. Is there one, is there something that kind of overrides most of that? So is there like one type of stress, like relationship, financial is there anything in spe- you know specifically that that gives a higher account or is it does it matter 
It doesn't matter because it's really, you know, what you might feel like you and I, Becky, could be presented with the same situation. Mm-hmm. You may look at it as highly stressful and I may look at it as, meh, that's no big deal. We can and not think of it as stressful at all. Okay. So on, on one hand, stress is subjective. Mm-hmm. But the ob- objective side of that is that it is, regardless of the driver, it's stress. It, it, it's a coping mechanism. Okay. It's a way to cope with, and if it's, we call it emotional eating, but you've probably also seen it labeled as boredom eating or um, um, eating out of frustration or stress eating or emotional eating kind of t- is the is the big umbrella term. So it's anytime you are feeling feeling in your body uncomfortable or you're faced with something, uh, maybe you have a project that you don't want to work on for for whatever it may be, and you're like, oh, I, I think crackers would be the solution to <laughs> this problem right now. And you I, go, I, you know, crackers. I'm only laughing. I am not laughing at this situation because it's, it's true. Though. I'm laughing at myself because I know what you're saying. <laughs> yes, I it's do. so and, true. You know, and I it's, can relate to this personally. So Right. It's and that's not a judgment it or a criticism. It's, it's just mm-hmm. calling it out so people understand that if you use food for anything other than sustenance, and this is notwithstanding what we mentioned earlier when we talked about food is celebration and ritual and tradition. But it's part of those things. The food isn't the ritual or the tradition. The food is right. part of the tradition or the ritual. The ritual and the tradition are other things. The same thing goes for using food to cope with stress. If you're using food in any mechanism other than nourishment, it is um, serving another purpose. It's kind of like that eat to live versus live to eat. And um, if, when you're eating to live, then that's basically hunger and nutrition. When you're living to eat, it's it, it takes a different form, a different shape. And um, you know, I've heard that that phrase before. And I and the first time I heard it, I was a little confused by it. But then when I thought about it, it really, you know, I can relate to what the, those differences are when you're when you're eating to live. I'm really looking for anything that's going to provide sustenance to you at this point in time. But when you're living to eat, you're just kind of looking for food, you know, what, what well, sounds good. I, I, I don't know. Am I off base? No, that's a very, that's a very common phrase, eat to live or live to eat. But eating to live is really where you are, to your point, if you're truly physiologically hungry, you eat. If mm-hmm. you're not hungry, and you're not someone who uses food as a coping mechanism, you tend not to even think about food. You don't even even really think about maybe like, oh, I probably should make something for dinner or next week is Thanksgiving. I should probably put the menu together and the kids like this and my husband likes this and my in-laws like this and all that, you know, that's Mm -hmm. thinking of it from a more of a productive way (laughs) versus someone who is caught up in that emotional eating, disordered eating, dieting Mm -hmm. cycle on a diet, off a diet, weight loss, weight gain, always battled, struggling with weight and food and body image cycle. When they're in that place in their head, uh-huh. they think about food constantly. Okay, so that and brings up a good point. Really, right? truly, for, for breast cancer, women with breast cancer 
our body image has been traumatized in many yes. cases. And when I think about emotional eating for women who have battled this, you know, we're going through the trauma of maybe having one breast or no breasts and how we now look to our partner, our loved one. Um, you know, how common is emotional eating for women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer? That's impossible to say because we don't have the research or statistics to support that. And if someone who's listening does have that information, I would be thrilled to see it. I've searched for that. And what I end up finding are articles written about the connection between eating disorders and disordered eating and body image and breast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No cancer. So there is some conversation about it out there in the real world, but there's not a lot of conversation about it. And in my opinion, it's more common than people realize. I would agree with that because, yeah. you know, even though there's been maybe no no data on it, we, you know, I know my body image changed tremendously when I went through cancer and and it's definitely a stress producer, you know, I, I just don't look like I used to look and boy, going through 40 years of pictures, I'll tell you, oh, right. yeah. was a real reminder that, you know, my yeah. body has changed a lot over, you know, the last bunch of years. But um, so, yeah, I would like to see that, too. So if anybody does have, you know, any kind of research study on that, something, you know, that's scientifically based, I would love to see it, too. If you send it to Becky at breastfriends.org, I can forward it to Kathy. Or um, I think we'll have your, well, why don't you just give them your your email, Kathy? How can they send it directly to you if they wanted to? Yeah, it's Kathy at KathyLeeman.com, and that's Kathy with a C. And Lehman without an H. So it's C-A-T-H-Y-L-E-M-A-N, Kathy Wonderful. Lehman. And you can also go to Breast Friends Around the Globe Facebook page, ask to join it, and then post your, your answer there. And and I'm sure, Ka- I think Kathy's a member of that now, too. And if you're not, you need to be. <laughs> I am. So, yeah. I thought you well, were. Um, yeah. And so if I could just say one more thing about that uh-huh, body image sure. piece. You know, in my work with women before my breast cancer diagnosis, um, the, the common... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? So the amount of, of women, the number of women who struggle with body image, who don't have breast cancer or who never had, I'm talking adolescent girls, women, adult women, older women, women in their 70s, 80s, who have struggled with body image their entire life due to media influences, um, comparing themselves to others, having these high standards that are impossible to meet thanks to the media and people Certain people saying how we should or shouldn't look, and we buy into that. Just in that population, the the amount of body image issues is huge. And so if you then move into the breast cancer world, which is where I work now, in that community, to your point, but let's talk body image. I mean, if you had body image issues before breast cancer, they are probably off the charts in severity at this point, and, and, and rightly so after what we go through. So yeah, it's... It's very common, I am, I am certain. And, and because I hear it. I mean, women reach out to me because that's the, the area that I work in is, you know, helping mm-hmm. women rebuild their health after they finish active treatment. And part of that is self-care, self-love, 
giving your body what it deserves and you know accepting yourself and nourishing your your body and all those sorts of things and you can't do that if you hate yourself you know and boy you're really touching a lot of buttons with me right now this morning because i know that um in my life and i mean i'm just going to go on record and, and say it i guess um throughout my life i have had tremendous body image issues, you know, where I just always, for some reason, I always felt fat. I was 96 pounds all the way through high school, and I still thought I was fat. And after my, let's see which child, I think my third child, I got down to 104, which at that time, I still felt felt fat. And, um, And then I remember when I hit 129 on the way up, it was horrifying on the way back down. It felt pretty good, you know. Right. So it depends on which direction you're hitting it from. But but when I went back and looked at these 40 years worth of photos, I could see the times in my life when I was slender and the times when I was overweight. And all of a sudden, the times I'm, that I was slender, I remember feeling fat back then. Mm-hmm. And and I, it's just I look at it now and I think, gosh, I was actually kind of cute, you know, <laughs> so. You were um, super cute, I am oh. <laughs> sure. But, it's, but you know, it, you fat know, is not a feeling. You know, you can, when you say, I feel fat, I feel uncomfortable in my body, what you're really saying is, I'm not okay with yeah. whatever it may be, whatever is, you know, I feel like I don't measure up. I feel like I'm not smart enough. I feel like I'm not reaching my potential, whatever it may be. But fat is not a feeling. But I hear this so many times from women and girls. I feel oh, fat. Interesting. Well, yeah, it's not a feeling. You, you're displacing. It's, it's, we don't, and again, this is a whole nother conversation, but, you know, it's, um, we don't recognize, it, it, I think a lot of it is not staying in touch with what's going on mm-hmm. in our head. You're not connecting your feelings and your thoughts to what's happening in your body and how you how that plays out. And so rather than saying, you know, I'm really, really angry at my mother because she wouldn't let me go out to the mall with my friends, rather than saying that, we say, I feel really fat. Uh, good thing I'm not going to the mall with my friends because I wouldn't be able to fit into anything <laughs> anyway, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, right. I, I, I get that. I really do. Um, so let's let's talk about the danger of emotional eating. I mean, is it actually dangerous or is it just kind of is it more emotional is it physically damaging to our bodies Uh, besides the fact we put on weight when we emotionally eat let's talk about that what's the actual danger how damaging is it you know for real yes yes so dangerous damaging and unhealthy those are the three things that I look at when I explain this to, to to someone such as yourself which is it's a great question so weight gain and obesity, and difficulty maintaining a healthy weight, that is, can be a really charged conversation for someone. There is, you know, just because someone is overweight or obese does not necessarily mean they are unhealthy. You can have someone who is obese or overweight, and they have perfect lipid profile, their blood sugar is textbook perfect, all their labs are fine. Whereas you could have someone who is what we would consider a healthy weight, and they have high cholesterol. Mm-hmm. And their blood sugar's off, and they have insulin. They're insulin resistant. So we have been brainwashed to to look at people who are who don't look the way we think they should look size wise, and say they're definitely unhealthy. Not so. But in the world of cancer, breast cancer particularly, um, all cancers, but we're talking about breast cancer. You know, excess weight 
is connected to higher risk of recurrence and higher risk of initial diagnosis for postmenopausal women. You know, so I, I heard a re- I finally heard from somebody the reason for that. And you know, I'm one of these people. Just don't don't tell me what, but tell me how or why something is a certain way because I'm more likely to remember it. So let me tell you what I think is true. And then if it's incorrect, maybe you can rephrase it or frame it differently so that I can understand it better. But here is what I was told um, from a, I went to a doctor to see a physician about, you know, weight loss because I was feeling, I was very overweight and I was feeling it and I needed to do something about it. And when I talked to my doctor about it, I had suggested to him, why don't we just remove my ovaries because um, they're, you know, they're producing estrogen and I don't need them anymore. I mean, I'm old and I've got five kids. I'm done having kids. You know, I don't need them. And he said to me, which just knocked me for a loop. He said, you know, I know it, it seems logical that that would be what is feeding your cancer is that you've got estrogen being produced by ovaries. He goes, but the truth is more of your estrogen is being produced by that, the, the belly fat around your middle than what's being produced in your ovaries because your body when you're overweight tends to store in the middle and that that storage of it you know can lead to you know increases in estrogen production in your body so is that true i mean a physician told me that and so i i lost weight as quickly as i could um but I, that shocked me i didn't realize that 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 middle aged middle thing that we that we grow um, is actually capable of producing estrogen in our bodies. So it is true. It's not only belly fat. Body fat does um, is connected to higher levels of estrogen. Okay. And the belly fat it, or visceral fat, what is what we call, you know, the, the fat that surrounds our organs and women tend in menopause to put on fat in their belly and their hips and their and their tushy Um, but that belly fat is metabolically active which means it drives inflammation so um, inflammatory markers in your body such as high levels of insulin high levels of blood sugar uh, which is called glucose um, you know those are cancer is a metabolic disease and so metabolically active tissue that drives these metabolic markers biomarkers to be outside of a healthy range are contributors to increasing the risk of breast cancer recurrence or initial diagnosis. That's what, it's not the fat that does it. It's this metabolic activity of body fat that contributes to that. Okay. And all body fat does um, contribute estrogen to the body, which is estrogen to the body, of course, to the body, but contribute estrogen, which is why one of the recommendations to try and maintain as healthy a weight as possible is recommended. But that can lead to a lot of stress. Trying yes, to maintain which then counters weight. the problem. <laughs> yes, so it, it just adds to a vicious it. cycle. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, sure. and you know, and the most common type of breast cancer is breast cancer that is fed by estrogen. So, you know, it's like, it's not just our age, it's not just you know what what we're eating it's 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 it it's the excess weight that we carry in our body is actually feeding that as well so you know that's the reason when they say you know obesity leads to a higher risk of cancer or a higher risk of recurrence so that's the reason because of the estrogen 
production possibility potential, but it's pretty high. I mean, it's a high likelihood. So, um, well, and if I could just jump in and say one yes, more thing, is that do. there are plenty of women who are at a healthy weight or below a healthy weight who are diagnosed with hormonally driven breast cancer. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure that I put that out there so that women who are listening to this don't take this on and and hear it through the filter of, well, I'm fat, so I caused my cancer. No, 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 a million times. Thank you for that. No. Yeah. Breast cancer is just wily, and it doesn't care who you are, how old you are, how well you take care of yourself, how much you weigh or don't. Breast cancer is just inconspicuous in who it will come after. So I wanted to say that. But to the other side of that is that also doesn't mean it's not a message to just discount your health because the healthier you are, you can get through breast cancer with better outcomes and uh, stronger you know, recovery and energy and such. Is, and is, catching it and finding it earlier is always helpful, too. <laughs> right, that's part to of it, too. It that's the luck part. Yeah. Yep. yeah, so yep. there are a lot of factors. So I just wanted to make sure that women aren't hearing that message and feeling um, you know, like they're being blamed for their cancer. They blame themselves because that is not, that couldn't be further from the truth. Thank you for for clarifying that because we that's that's another stressor that we don't need to, you know, add, especially if it isn't true. So, um, so yeah, but these are all, they're all, there's risk factors. Our greatest risk factor for breast cancer is being a woman and being older, you know. And having breasts. Yeah, that's right. and having, you know, and, and so right. those, those are the, like the major risk factors are right there. And then obesity and these things kind of are further down the chart, but they're, they're all factors. And then we don't, we can't control our age. We can't control what sex we are, but we can definitely control what goes in our mouth. And so, but it, it's a process and it's not an easy one. Not no. at all. You know, no. not at all. And that's why we're having this conversation today because there are a lot of us that emotionally eat and I am definitely one of them. So, you know, this is a, a good program for me too. Um, so is there anything else damaging or, or, or unhealthy about emotional eating? Yes. I think we, I think we, yeah. oh, we didn't cover it all. Yeah, okay. Three more. Go, mm-hmm. Good for it. Go for it. So psychological pain. Which you can't discount that. Um, this is the psychological pain of living with the guilt, remorse, shame, disgust, regret, low self-esteem, no self-confidence. If that's the world you live in in your head because you are an emotional eater, you are not jumping out of bed in the morning and saying, let me make sure I get in a workout, that I eat healthy, that I go for a walk, that I connect with my friends socially distanced, of course, right now, but, you know, we'll be out of this and we'll be able to do that again. You know, let me reach out to people. Let me do my best with my work today. Let me make a difference to someone. You're not there. You're in a completely different psychological mindset mm-hmm. of despair yeah. and it doesn't matter. So why should, I'm fat. I'm, I'm, I'm unhealthy. I'm out of shape. So why should I go for a walk? And why should I have anything even remotely resembling a nourishing breakfast? So you're you're you spin in that place of, um, you know what your thoughts are and what your emotions are drive your behaviors, and so if, that's just a really dark spiral to be stuck in, and so that is damaging, and unhealthy because then you're not practicing healthy behaviors, and so it can then the psychological unhealthiness can then lead to physical unhealthiness. So. so- 
Let yeah. me ask you something for just again to clarify. You know, I think that we're not talking about that occasional time when you get an urge to eat a certain kind of food. Like, you know, we all have our favorite restaurant and our favorite meal at that restaurant. And every now and then you might get a, a an urge to go have that meal at that restaurant. And maybe it's not the healthiest thing in the world, but but you plan it, you you know, you plan your day around it. That is not what we're talking about here. That's kind of more that celebration, that tradition, whatever. And and even and I'm asking you to correct me if I'm wrong. And even eating at home, if there's, you know, something that we really like and we want to spoil ourselves with it once in a while and it's really bad, like a donut, you know, maybe it's the worst thing in the world for you to eat, but you know what? If you love it and you plan for it and you plan around it, it's not, that is not what we're talking about here with emotional eating. Am I right about that? Oh my gosh, so many things I could say to that. How well, much time do we have? Okay. <laughs> Well, so, we're skipping our second break. So Okay, you know. so first of all, what you described, saying, I want to go for dinner to my favorite Italian restaurant, and I want to get that favorite vodka cavatini dish, or cavatelli dish, whatever. That is not emotional eating. That is going out to dinner, enjoying someone else preparing a meal for you so you don't have to do it, and enjoying a food that you happen to love. It doesn't make it good. It doesn't make it bad. It doesn't make it something you need to plan for or save up for or do penance for. It's simply going out for an Italian meal. I Emotional love Italian. Is that was a good say, example. <laughs> thank you. Emotional eating is where you say, I can't get through this afternoon without going through that carton of ice cream followed by that leftover vodka taffetelli pasta that I have in the refrigerator from dinner oh. last night because I... I'm just too stressed, okay. and that will make me feel better. Good. That's emotional eating, and the point that, about that the was don- kind of that's kind of where I was separating it too. So yes. I'm I'm glad that I wasn't off base on that because there are certain no, foods I yeah. love and they're not good for me. But you but know, the, I have it once food in a while. That you love that. That's another thing is when we give these labels to food. Let's use your example of donut since we're picking on the poor donut <laughs> and the biscuits, the poor little innocent biscuits. Food is just neutral. It's what we assign to food in terms of meaning that changes the way we view food and the way we view what we're doing to our bodies. A biscuit is flour and oil. And if it's in a can popped out of, you know, manufactured biscuits, a lot of other stuff that you don't cook with in your kitchen. But that's all it is. It's not cocaine. It's not murder. It's not stealing. Those are bad things. Biscuits are not bad things. And neither are donuts. We don't I need love to you. For them. We don't need to make, we don't need to do extra workouts for them. We don't need to starve ourselves because we had a donut. A donut is just flour and fat and sugar. End of story. So we don't become bad when we eat donuts. We don't need to feel guilty when we eat donuts, and we don't need to do penance when we eat donuts. Sometimes they have cream in them. Then do we need Excellent. to do any of those things? <laughs> you never do. When you give that much power to a food, you you lose your power. You give it away. That is so true. And Kathy, so emotional eating is very much tied to that because you're giving your power away to being able to manage your emotions in a healthy way, such as, I don't really feel like working on this report. 
So I'm going to take a break. I'm going to make a cup of tea. I'm going to sit down for five minutes. I'm going to go outside, walk around the block, whatever it is. Those are healthy ways to say I'm procrastinating. If you're procrastinating, that's a way of putting off what you want to do that is uncomfortable. Or if you're managing your emotions with food, it's in that short window of time when you're eating, you're forgetting what you're upset about. You're distracted by the ice cream or the donut or the biscuit, so you don't have to think about what happened that made you so upset. But as soon as that's done, that food is gone, your problem's not solved. You're still upset. You still need to resolve it. And now you feel guilty for yeah, eating Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's just not, it's just, that's emotional eating. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? I, I don't want us to run out of time before we get through two more major points that I want yes. to cover. One of them, and I'm going to ask you to choose because we, we run out of time, which one do you want to talk about the most? Um, they're both important. What can someone struggling with emotional eating, eating do to get help? Because we do want to, if, if that's our issue, we want to be able to learn some things that we can turn that around with. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is the psychology, physiology of eating. Like sometimes we have treatment weight gain and what happens, you know, when that happens, what do we do about it? You know, we eat to control nausea. Um, we have intuitive eating. There, You know, so where do we go from here with the few minutes we have left? Yeah, sure. So let's talk about what someone who's struggling with emotional eating can do to get help. Okay. So number one, um, they it's learning to address emotional needs with something other than food, which is, that's a whole other conversation. But you can learn to do that. Um, because you haven't learned to do it in the first place, but so you can learn to do it now. How do uh, we? So how do we learn? How do we learn that though? I mean, I know it's a whole other conversation, and maybe it will be our next one. But um, is there a technique if we're thinking about eating because we're having an emotional need, and we're, we're thinking about that cookie that's left in the back of the refrigerator from six months ago, and we know what's in there, and we yeah. go on the hunt for it? What can we do instead? Yeah. So actually, um, working with someone in a capacity of one-on-one work can really help you put into place practices and and um, strategies that help you in the moment start okay. to manage these these issues. But okay. first of all, you know, it's just being really aware is recognizing what's, you know, even naming triggers, like something that maybe when you have a conversation with a certain person, that's a trigger for you to feel angry. And okay. what if you then connect that to the next link in the chain. Maybe the next thing you do whenever you talk to this person who makes you angry, you go to the kitchen and you eat something. So where in that link, excuse me, in that chain, can you break that link of that trigger? And part of it is just being aware. This is a person who really trips my trigger. They send me to the kitchen, but actually you're sending yourself to the kitchen. They are not. True, (laughs) that is true. Right, you're in charge of what you do with that feeling. Uh So it's learning to identify the trigger identify and name the emotion or feeling that comes from that and then be aware of the behaviors that you typically engage in and what you want to change about those behaviors and coming up with other behaviors that are healthier that are not food related. I just wrote I am in charge of the outcome and sometimes I think we give that power away to the situation that brought us there to begin with. Well I can't I can't help it because yeah yeah And, and we sometimes I think we associate that that circumstances in charge and I have no I can't control myself yes I can it's all it's up to me what I'm going to do with that piece of information so awareness I love that figuring out what is it that's sending me into the kitchen right now and 
and then understanding that it's not the situation that sent me into the kitchen. I'm sending myself into the kitchen. So yeah. what can I go do? Go paint something or do something else instead. So yes. I love that. Thank you got you. it. You got it. Thank you. Okay. Um, find healthy ways to cope with stress. So we can't live a stress-free life, but there are ways to manage and cope. And so again, it's being aware of what are the things that cause you the most stress and and then how come up with five healthy coping mechanisms. And food is not one of them. Maybe it's deep breathing. Maybe it's journaling. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's dancing. Maybe it's texting someone. So that's, that's another thing. Um, reconnecting with your body through physical activity. Very, very, very powerful. Movement really helps you move things out of your head and through your body. Music does that as well. Um, intuitive or mindful eating practices to tune into that hunger, fullness, satiety signal. That's a lot of the work that I do is all of these things combined because that's really powerful. And then getting support, working with, um, again, someone like myself who specializes in disordered eating and a therapist. I often work in tandem with therapists who do um, what's outside of my scope so that I can focus on the food and the body image and um, that connection. So, you know, a combination of all those things is really most impactful. But I think the very first thing is if you've never connected your emotional eating to your habits, just being aware of that now, that's huge. That's a great that is, start. That is huge. Yeah, yeah. I, I really, really like that. Let me ask you about one last thing before we are, we are out of time, because I know this was part of my problem in the in, when I was first diagnosed with cancer. I found myself, because of the chemo drugs I was on, I felt always on that edge of being sick to my stomach and keeping food in my tummy, believe it or not, was was the solution to not yeah. feeling sick to my stomach. Having it empty just enhanced that feeling. So is there another is that common and is there something else we can do instead when we're feeling that treatment issue? You know, like it's it's related to the drug and you know, like I can give you the one minute time slot here to answer that one. Yeah, <laughs> sure. No, now. that that is not emotional eating. That is managing symptoms of treatment, medical okay. treatment. And so, yes, if we if you're nauseous, usually some, a little bit of something in your stomach helps because of the acid and all of that that's just churning and churning. So you've got to look at where you are in your treatment and if you're even receiving treatment. If someone's out of treatment and they're not receiving any medication or chemo or anything like that and they're eating, that's, that's another issue. But if you're yeah. eating to manage symptoms, you've got to just give yourself that space in that time frame. Know that it's probably not going to last forever. And just do what you can to feel better in that. And then, yeah. and, but also recognize, are you <clears throat> using that as an excuse? I don't feel well, so I'm eating. I mean, yeah. maybe, no, that's, maybe not. That's true. That's true. Right? And, we, and we can do that. And then the other downside of that is that we're, it can become stress eating or emotional eating if we do that. And then we find ourselves gaining weight because of that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I always thought the one silver lining to having chemotherapy is I would, you know, lose weight. Well, <laughs> I was wrong about that. I didn't lose weight the first time through um, because I just, because of that, you know, I found myself feeling all just constantly kind of nauseous and and it wasn't no food that helped it was eating putting something in there to settle it and then I would gain weight I'd gain you know two pounds three pounds you know whatever and pretty soon I'm feeling really yucky and I'm probably not going to have time for you to answer that because we're down to our last minute if that so um, (laughs) unless you got a very short answer Weight gain isn't always from the food. It's fluid, it's sodium, it's undigested food in your gut. I mean, it's not what, it's just not what the scale shows us. So that's a whole nother. 
Okay, I think we have another conversation coming up. So, (laughs) Kathy, we're done. Um, I am so sorry. We will be back next week. And until then, remember, there is always hope. And we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. There is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.